Welcome to the Communities Podcast. We greet you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, whom we adore, of course. We pray this word will richly bless you and speak to your heart. Enjoy. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about this morning, what I believe the Lord is leading me to talk to you about this morning is uh, God's anointed. And so when we talk about things like submission, which happened yesterday, and uh, Joshua, who was with us, was a little bit in the spirit. I didn't want to say it to him because you know how men get. We get egos. The minute you say to somebody, you're in the spirit, and then they go like, oh, yeah, you know, I can hear from God. I'm God's first cousin. And so um, we wanted to, to, when we talk about things like God's anointed and submission, and it comes from the leader or from the leadership, People tend to get into this position of like, yes, they just want to control and oh, blah, blah, blah. Here's the person on the stage and they just want to run this thing as if it's their show. But my heart is this. I don't care if you submit to me or not. I don't care if you recognize the anointing or not because my heart is this. It's not for me to get control. My heart is this, for you to be equipped with certain principles, because when you access certain principles, you have access to certain things, which means that if you recognize somebody's authority and you submit to that authority, you have access to authority. Remember in the gospel of Luke, where where the centurion man was talking to Jesus and he says, I too am a man under authority. In other words, what he was recognizing out of Jesus was Jesus was under authority. That's why Jesus had access to authority. And when we talk about authority from a church perspective, we don't just mean spiritual authority. When God gave you a daddy and he gave you a mommy, he gave you authority. Children, obey your parents so that you may have long life. Honor your parents so that you may have long life. How many parents want their children to live long? Have you ever taught your children how to honor you? So you have robbed them from having a long life because you never showed them the way. When God gives you authority, he has placed you under authority. When you recognize the authority that you are under, you begin to step into that authority. When you recognize that you, your, the Lord gave you a dad, it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your father is. It doesn't so it doesn't matter what's going on in your dad's life. This is my father. That's why I gave him the look. It doesn't matter what's going on in your father's life when you respect your father because God's idea wasn't this. His idea of, of church was family. His idea of church was family. And what does the enemy come against? families. What does the enemy want to destroy? The family unit. When husbands step up into the authority that God has given them, they make a way for their children to step into the same authority. They pave the way that the child should go. Bring up a child in the way that he should go and he will not depart from it. Amen. So on this one, we're talking about God's anointed and we're in 1 Samuel 24, but I'm going to just kick off from 1 Corinthians 11. So the reason why we're there is because we're going to jump back to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 27. And for those who are making notes, can make notes. We're going to read a lot of Bible this morning. It's more Bible than most of you read in the week. If you said amen, I would like to just skiff you out a little bit and then sort you out. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread or drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is the scripture that we always use uh, from a a communion perspective. And for a long time, I wanted to understand what does this mean to discern the Lord's body. Is Paul talking about that which happened on the cross to discern the Lord's body? In other words, there. Or was he talking about something else? In the sense that you who are in Christ Jesus, you are part of the Lord's body. You are part of the Lord's body. So he says, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, you don't discern who's sitting next to you. You don't discern who's with you. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves... 
we would not be judged. In other words, when you discern who you are sitting next to, and you don't judge them but look at you, then there is healing that is released in the body of the Lord. So why the sermon's title, God's Anointed, and why do we talk about this? Because if you grew up with a Pentecostal theology, Pentecostal theology teaches there's two forms of calling. One, you have a calling when people are called, they stand here as part of the fivefold. They're part of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then the second calling is everybody's called to the Lord. And that's a great teaching. The only problem I have is it's not in the Bible. Because there's one call, and that is you're called to Him the Lord. And what that Pentecostal theology has done foundationally is it's taught that if you touch God's anointed, meaning if you touch the guy that stands on the stage, God's going to get you. And the other problem with that is it's again, not in the Bible. Because when we say God's anointed, who are we talking about? We're talking about you because you could never come to the lord lest the lord allowed you to come to him you could never come to the lord lest the spirit of god came and fetched you so that you may utter the words jesus christ is lord that's why in 1 john chapter number 4 we say how do we know of those who are saved how do we know those who are not deceived those who have not evil intent and evil spirit as those who can say jesus christ is lord that was the qualification meaning that in other words john had the understanding that you needed the spirit of god in you to be able to recognize his lordship so when he called you he chose you and whom he chose he glorified he qualified he also anointed that's what the word christian means acts 11 verse 26 is the first time you read the word christian and they said of the disciples they were christians christos is the word christ it's a messiah is the hebrew which means the anointed one and when they were called christians they were doing the things that jesus did and they were unable able to do these things lest they were anointed to do them so when we talk about God's anointed we're talking about you we're not talking about us standing on the little platform trying to be our ayahot to try and being our, our, our own God the one of the number one sins that's mentioned in the Bible is idolatry idolatry is the number one mentioned sin and I remember asking the Lord about this a long time ago I said Lord nobody's really bowing down to little statues and stuff so obviously idolatry must be no longer in existence in the western world and the Lord pointed me to the church about how we worship the pastor how we are more afraid of the prophet than where we are of God because the prophet might see something but Jesus never left you and so what we do is when the man of God is around, we sort of clean the house and get things in order and we, and we address the man of God as if he's something above us. But what about you? Because my Bible says, Paul, who wrote this, he says, I am the least amongst you. In other words, the qualification of him being the apostle, which is the foundation of the church, was to make himself less what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? I am not even worthy to carry your, sa your sandals. I must decrease so that he may increase. Because if you study this context culturally, there were four qualifications that you had to do as a man of God in order for you to be proven as the Messiah. That's why the Pharisees used to follow Jesus around. That's why they followed John the Baptist around. So they used to follow John the Baptist before they followed Jesus, thinking that he was the Messiah. So when they were building him up and he saw Jesus, whom the Bible says there was no beauty in him that anybody would behold him or consider him. In other words, he didn't look like much. When he saw him, he said, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and I must decrease so that he may increase. That's the qualification of somebody who's actually seen Jesus. There is a humility so in other words, if you've really seen Jesus, you wouldn't think of yourself as much as what you think of. You would make yourself less understanding that he would become more. Because I realize that I can't stand here unless he allows me to stand here. I can't worship him unless he allows me to worship him. I can't enter into his presence lest he allows it. Everything that he allows, we understand he is in control of everything. And there's nothing that I can do lest he allow it to be done. 
when you understand the bigness of him and you understand the less of you. I love this. How can you give definition to the one who defines you? He is so big that he is the only one that is absolute. You understand what absolutes mean when we make absolute statements like, I know what love is. That's an absolute statement. So in other words, when you tell me that you know what love is, you can define God. Because God himself said he is love. And oftentimes I like to steer away from absolute statements because I realize the more I follow him, the more I see a side of him that I didn't see before. And what I used to think of him, I no longer think of him. Because I have known him more. And there's this relationship that constantly invites me into him. And the more I get to see him, the more I realize that what I used to know about him is no longer relevant because he's taking me to a higher place. There is a constant invitation from God to come up here, John. Revelation chapter number four, come up here. So when we talk about God's anointed, we're talking about you. And when we talk about the anointing, we want you to understand the principle of the anointing. Because when you understand the principle of things, you can operate in them. You with me? So in other words, if I understand gravity, I can fly. You want to be able to operate in a natural law. You've got to understand how they work. How do the spiritual laws work? We are a spiritual people. Do you understand how it works? So I want us to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 24. And I want to just read this chapter. Whenever you have the Bible, the, the, the Word of God, the Bible, one thing we must know is that the Bible should never be a justification of you. In other words, it should never be... The Bible doesn't exist to justify what you believe or think. It doesn't? No, it doesn't. The Bible exists to reveal the nature and the character of your heart. It's not there to justify how you live. It's there to reveal how you should live. And whenever you use the Word of God to justify how you live, you can make this say anything that you want it to say. Oh, that was good. I'm going to say amen to myself. I think I'm going to listen to the recording myself. 1 Samuel 24, you got your Bibles. Now it happened when Saul had returned from the following, uh, following the, the Philistines that it was told him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So just to give you some context in the background here, David is anointed to, to take over as king and all of a sudden Saul and David begin to clash with one another and Saul doesn't like David coming up. And uh, what happens earlier, about three chapters, four chapters earlier, I've got to get my maths right, 1, 1, 1 Samuel 18, Saul actually throws a spear at David trying to kill him. So here David just serves the king and here Saul just wants to kill him. And what's interesting about the story about David and his relationship with Saul is some scholars and some uh, Jewish rabbis believe that David was ostracized by his father, meaning that David was rejected by his father. And there's small evidence in the Bible of that, but we don't have complete conclusion that we could say that that is completely true. But there are hints to it. And one of the hints is when Samuel came around looking for the new king to anoint, uh, Jesse, David's father, brought all the other sons who were in the house and now you again you must understand culturally why this was significant because when a man of God like Samuel arrived at your house everybody was invited so in other words Jesse took all of his sons and left the son that he didn't want out in the field what makes this very interesting is because we find that uh, when you hurt as a person you end up hurting other people in other words when you don't have a good father in your life you don't become a good father yourself and we see that even David's son tries to kill him later. What's also interesting is that David, because of the suggestion that he perhaps had daddy issues, you see that him clinging to Saul who constantly rejects him and how David constantly longs for his approval, his attention. What's also very interesting is that David actually marries Saul's daughter. So in other words, it's his father-in-law. And yet... You see Saul rejecting him over and over and over, and David keeps coming back. Almost like a dog that keeps getting kicked and keeps coming back. And why I want to talk about this morning and why I believe to mention this to you is I want you to, to see it from two different angles. One, I want you to see it from how you are anointed of God because you are chosen. Well, some of you, right? 
man, those who are, you know, not such sinners, man, specifically the people sitting in the front. So you are the anointed of God, but then you must also view it of how do I treat the anointed of God? In other words, what I'm asking you is how do you discern the Lord's body? How do you treat your brother and your sister sitting next to you in the church? How do you treat those who are also called, who are also anointed by God, who are also covered in the blood? How do you treat them? How do you speak of them? So from verse, uh, verse uh, 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. What's interesting again here from a, from a context perspective is that this is five times the amount of men David had with him. In other words, Saul took five times more men to go chase David than what David had with him. And remember, Saul is still king here. David isn't. So he came to the strongholds of the road where was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recess of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Now, I'm pointing this out to you because you are the anointed of God. And there are times where people will come to you to say, look, God has taken your enemies and made them ripe for the picking. In other words, when you are the anointed of God and you are the chosen of God, God will bring your enemies in front of you and what you choose to do to your enemies is up to you. And David rose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart, David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. David's heart bothered him because he cut the cloth of a man who tried to kill him. The condition of David's heart. The condition and how David respected the anointed men of God. I'm just going to let that sink in because I'm looking at some blank faces looking at me. I'm looking at you, looking at me, looking at you. Right? Think about this. Who's David? He's a man after God's own heart. He, in fact, the Bible goes as far in the book of Revelation to say, you have been given the keys of David. What is a key? A key is to unlock a door. What does that mean spiritually? It means that I've given you a revelation. What, what makes revelation so specific? And why is revelation so important? Because Romans chapter number 10, verse 17, you know what it says. Faith cometh by the hearing and the hearing of the word of God. Remember, it's Greek. There's two words for the word word, logos and rhema. Logos means doctrinal word. Rhema means revealed word, illuminated word, which means faith only comes by revelation. The devil doesn't attack a church that doesn't teach any revelation. The devil attacks churches that teach revelation because they're trying to rob your faith. So, Because if you have faith, you'll be able to fight off the enemy, right? So in other words, if I kill your faith, I can stop you from connecting to God. Now you, church, have been given the keys of David, which means I've given you the key to knowing me. Because David was a man after God's own, and he knew how to get there, and that's why we have worship in the church, because it's influenced by Psalms. In other words, if you know how to worship God, you can get to him. And if you can get to him, you can unlock doors to get to him closer so that he may manifest more in your life. Why? Because God is inhabited by the praises of his people, right? God himself isn't sick. God himself isn't dead. God himself isn't broke. If you want to fight off the sickness, you need to lock God in your life. How do you lock him? By praising him. Because when I praise him, he rocks up in my house. And when he rocks up in my house, things begin to change in my house. So the key of David was knowing how to get to him through worship and through praise. That's why revelation is so important. And why I'm saying this to you is because if David could get to God's heart, writing the prophetic Psalms that he did about even the coming of Jesus, and so much so that God himself said, I will come from the root of Jesse. So that's, do you see, am I, am I making sense? Am I, you following? In other words, there was such a deep connection with David. David touched God so much so that God said, when I come in flesh through Christ, I will come through you. Because, so this is so, I mean, 
This is so good for me. Anyway, I'm enjoying this. So, in other words, you could get to my heart so much, David, that I will choose the Savior of the world will come through your lineage because you knew how to worship me. Because you knew how to praise me. The true worshippers shall worship him in spirit and truth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which meant if it was true in John chapter number 4, it was true in 1 Samuel chapter number 24. In other words, God is the same. Because David could worship in spirit and truth, he could connect to God. And because he could connect to God, God released himself in David's life. So when he released himself in David's life, he then became Christian. He became anointed. He began to carry the Messiah. In other words, I was impregnated with purpose. Because if God decides out of your lineage, I will birth the Messiah, what do you think will happen to your lineage? God will not wipe your name out because he needs your name. That's why he said of the kings that came out of David that didn't follow the Lord, for the sake of my servant David, I will spare you because I remembered what I promised him. How many of you need Christ in your life? How many of you need, to give, <laughs> you need God to give birth in your life? And here David has such a conviction that even when he cut the robe of the man that tried to spear him against the wall, he began to become restless. In other words, I wouldn't do any harm to the anointed. Psalm 105, 1 Chronicles chapter number 16, I wouldn't touch the anointed of God. I will do no harm to them. I will do no harm to his prophets. Then the men of David said to him this day, of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver to your enemy into your hand. In other words, God will set up your enemies, and it is your choice what you will do with him. What is, what is the function of when God calls you as prophet, priest, and king? What is the function of a king? A king governs the realm that he operates in, but a king is also the person who is responsible for releasing mercy. How merciful are you to the people that wrong you? There's a bunch of lily white people here in this, house, in this church, right? So how about I bring Julius Malema in here and then see how merciful you are towards him. What about the guys responsible for load shedding? Bring him in here. See how merciful are you towards him. What does it say about the Pharisees who stoned Stephen, who were part of the chosen of God, who believed they were chosen, who believed they were anointed of God, and yet they threw stones at Stephen himself was anointed. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe, verse 6, and he said to, the, to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. How do you treat the anointed people in your life? So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, My Lord, the king. This is where David is better than me. Because when somebody tries to kill me, I don't call them by their office. I'm just, I'll be like, hey, Johnny, what's up, my bro? I won't be like, hey, my king. Hey, my president who tries to tax me. Just putting it out there. My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. I must decrease and he must increase. Somebody who has really met God begins to humble himself. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words? And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand. Now, this is why I love David as well, because he's cheeky. Remember, Saul had five times the amount of men. And David still said, look, the Lord delivered you into my hand. Because he wasn't so looking behind him as he was looking ahead of him. 
Because when he took on Goliath, he didn't consider his size either. He knew who he was and he knew that he was called. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're called? Do you know that you're anointed? So why do you allow men to speak to you in the way that they do? And why do you trust in the words of men instead of listening to the words of your father? So to know that when David looked at Saul, he said, look, the Lord has delivered you to my hand. But Saul had five times the amount of men. And David didn't look behind him and consider who was with him. I want to say this to you, church, this morning, that there are those who are more for you than those who are against you. I want to say to you this morning that when God has selected you and chosen you and anointed you, that when you go and do battle, know that you just have to look ahead of you because forever Jesus is in front of you. When he calls you, he goes ahead of you and you should only walk into what he's already done so that you're just in him. Okay. All right. We're getting somewhere. Cool. And then David stooped down with his face in earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to these words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, the eyes of the Lord have delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. This is kingship. This is to be kingly, to extend mercy. I want to say to every man of every house, you're the king of your house. Your house is in your hand. What I said was very prophetic and spiritual. I hope you got that. Verse 11, moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. Wickedness proceeds from wickedness. Wickedness begets wickedness. Righteousness begets righteousness. In other words, righteousness gives birth to righteousness. Wickedness gives birth to wickedness. What are you pursuing in your life? I want the righteousness of God in my life. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how... You have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. I want us to just stop there for a second. Oftentimes, God will deliver your enemies into your hands to see what is in your heart. I wonder if we pass the test. How you view this country, how you view the leadership of this country, how you speak, of the guys running ESCOM, how you speak of Cyril Ramaphosa, our president, how you speak of the Republic of South Africa. Do you know that this country is in your hands? Because you have the authority of God and what you decree and declare will happen to this nation. Do you know that if you were really understood that you were anointed, if you really understood that you were called, if you really knew the authority that you carry, I wonder how differently you would speak and consider the people in your life. See how God delivered these enemies, David's enemies, into his hand. And even Saul recognizes that God had delivered him at the mercy of David. This is very powerful. Because when you understand that you are called to be a king in him, and you understand how to conduct yourself, how would you conduct yourself? How much mercy and grace would you show? Discerning the Lord's body, discerning the Lord's body, discerning the Lord's body. That's why so many of you are weak and sick among you. That's why so many of you die before your time. That's why so many of you die, because you do not discern the Lord's body. If you judged, 
If you are judged, if you judge yourselves, you will not be judged. God resists the pride but gives grace to the humble. If you judge yourself and not judge your brother next to you, God would extend mercy to you and grace to you. That even when you are guilty, he will speak for you. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 26. I want to show you something quickly. Before all of you nod off completely off to sleep. Verse 8. Saul does this again. He again takes 3,000 men and again he goes after David. You would think that he would learn from his mistakes. He does this again. Then verse 8. Then Abshahi said to David, God has delivered you. That's the guy that is with David. He said, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear right to the earth. And I will not have to strike him a second time. In other words, in other words, this is a guy that's for David. He's got such an issue with the guy that tried to take David out, Saul, that he will hit him once and you'll only need one shot to take him out. In other words, this is not an enemy that you will just wound. This is an enemy that I will remove for you. You don't even have to get your hands dirty, David. I'll do it. The temptation to fight your own battles. The temptation to speak against those who spoke against you. Oh, how great is that temptation. That temptation that when someone steps up in my face and he says to me, let's go, mano u mano, I say, I'm ready for you, boy. I grew up in the West Strand. So I'm ready. I'm not going to back down. The temptation to be able to give yourself over to the Lord to say, should I fight with the Philistines or shouldn't I? This person stepped up against me. Should I strike back or should I not strike back? A man spoke against me some time ago. And, some, and it really destroyed me. It, wrecked every, it took my reputation from being, you know, hero to zero, like, you know, instantly. It's one of those humbling moments that you look back on and you go, it was good for me to be afflicted. <laughs> right? And someone spoke against me. And I remember this, where two pastors came up to me and they said, Nicholas, and they told me what the guy accused me of doing. And I laughed because I thought they were making a joke. And uh, then I saw their faces, they weren't. And as I wanted to defend myself, the Holy Spirit said to me, keep quiet. And they just carried on with whatever the accusation was. Two years, I wasn't allowed to speak. Two years, I had to go to prayer meetings, sitting with those same pastors praying, and they would look at you, and look at you, and look at you. Two years. And the Lord vindicated me at once, because I was asked to be the MC at a wedding where all of the pastors were there. See that day that the Lord gave your enemies into your hands. And he vindicated me like this. I'm going to say to you that the Lord will vindicate you. I'll say this to you, that you don't have to fight your own battles. You don't have to speak back when they're speaking. There, has, there is someone who ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And there is an advocate up there in heaven with the Father speaking for you on your behalf. That you never have to defend yourself, my brother, my sister. We have a God, an intercessor, who will defend you, who is righteous, who will speak for you. Every person that has ever come against me has lost. Not because I'm fancy, not because I'm good looking, not because I wash my my hair with great shampoo I, they lost because i just gave it over to the lord and the lord had to deal with the situation and then obviously contrary to popular belief i was also wrong at some times and i had to correct myself i just had to add that as a disclaimer before you know he you know humbles me verse nine but david said to to abashi sounds like a pop artist do not destroy him For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Who can touch you and be guiltless? You are the Lord's anointed. Who can speak against you and be guiltless before God? You are the Lord's anointed. Who can speak against you and stretch out their hand against you even though you're guilty? Saul was guilty. Let's not beat around the bush. He chucked a spear. At David, when David did nothing wrong, David said in two chapters back, I'm guiltless. I haven't done any sin against you. I'm here and I'm at your mercy. 
You do what you want to do. In fact, I'm not even a threat to you. I'm a dog, a dead dog. I'm a flea on that dog. I'm nothing. I'm not here to harm you. And the second time, Saul comes after David. Second time, he listens. He listens to accusations. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who you're listening to. He listens to the accusations and comes against David again. And here David says, who can touch God's anointed and be guiltless? What a man David was. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. I want to touch on this. When you are anointed, and whenever you are dealing with anointed people, who is responsible for the anointed people? God. When a preacher goes crazy, when an anointed man of God, I'm going to use them as an example, goes off script and they go nuts, what happens to that man? If he doesn't repent, he dies. Because God doesn't play with his anointing. And he doesn't play with whom he anoints. But the same grace that exists for you exists for your enemy. The same grace that exists for you when you mess up exists for the other person who messes up. If you are anointed, which means that you are consecrated, it means that everything that I have belongs to him and I actually act like that. I don't just say it. Okay, That's consecration. That's the anointing. Okay, the anointing is not some special spiritual oil that someone dabbles over you and then all of a sudden you get the shine. And then you start floating somewhere. Anointing means I give everything to him when I wake up, when I go to bed, when I eat, when I sleep. Whatever I do is his choice. It's his decision. He tells me. He shows me. He guides me. I give my life over to him. That's a consecrated life. That's the anointing. So when God said you are Christian, you know when you take that little box, you are saying, I am consecrated. You are saying that he is the Lord of my life and he can do whatever he wants to do with his life. Which means that you are at his mercy and his grace. Which means that what he chooses to do with you, he will do with you. And when the men came to fetch Jesus, Peter whipped out his sword and cut the man's ear off. And, Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, this cup that my father has for me, should I not drink it? In other words, I am so consecrated to what the Lord wants to do that even this false accusation is from the Lord. He allowed it to take place in my life. And he allowed it for my glorification. Because every test you write, when you pass it, you get promoted. Every test you go through, every trial you face, whether it's load shedding, whether it's the government, whether it's people just bad-mouthing you or giving you a hard time, is setting you up for your success. Because when you follow him, you go from one height to another height to another height to another height. And eventually you're seated in heavenly places where Paul said, this is where I see you sitting. I give myself over to the mercy of the Lord. It is not that you came against me. It's that the Lord allowed you to come against me. It's not that you came against me. It's that the Lord allowed you to come against me. The one day I was sitting in my office, and as I was sitting in the office, I felt this oppression, and I felt that things weren't right. How many of you have felt things like that before? And I felt like things weren't right, and the Lord said to me, get up and go pray. And so I went and I booked the meeting room, and I went in to go pray. And as I prayed, the Lord opened to, told me to go to the book of Amos. And I went to the book of Amos, uh, and it says in the book of Amos where the Lord took me to, it says, the enemy surrounds you to sap your energy and your strength. And I said, Lord, what must I do? What must I do? Why? Because David himself said, should I go up against the Philistines? It's a spiritual principle. What should I do? Don't just do what you think is right. You should ask him, what should you do when he reveals things to you? And when the Lord said to me, begin to prophesy to the enemy that they have only come close for me to stand on them. 
In other words, God will only allow the enemy to come against you so that you may stand on them, so that you may have a step to go from one height to another height to another height to another height. God will allow the enemy to come against you so that you may stand on them. Don't you realize that everything that you go against, everything that comes against you is just but a test and a setup? Because when he selected you, he determined your victory already. He predestined that you would overcome. He said to you, doesn't matter how tough it is. I didn't choose the family that I was born into. I didn't even choose my own name. Can you believe it? I don't know about you, but I didn't even choose the country I got born into. I was like, why couldn't I get born into the States? Maybe then Silicon Valley next to like Apple or something. Why did I have to get born in South Africa? Some third world country broke, busted and disgusted, right? So why am I even here? It was all determined by God. All determined by God. God spoke to some funky European a couple of hundred years ago, told him to get on a boat, come into South Africa to determine that I would be here. Every decision that you're making is not for you, but for that which will come out of you. Because I'm consecrated, because I'm anointed, because I am called, because I'm at the mercy of someone else. Amen. All right. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that was by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water, this is funny, by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw or knew it or awoke. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. In other words, everybody slept. Where Saul was sleeping, there was a spear and there was a jug of water. So they decided, like naughty schoolboys, to take the spear and the jug of water and walk away. And everybody was asleep. Okay. Verse 13, now David went over to the other side and stood on top of a hill off afar off, a great distance and being between them. And then David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, do you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered and said, who are you calling out to the king? Abner was the servant of the king. He was the servant of Saul. He was the bodyguard. So David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord, the king? For one of the peoples came in to destroy the Lord, the king. This thing that they have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. I don't know if this is a psychological game that David is playing. But I love it. But he, notice what he does. He rebukes Saul's champion for not protecting Saul. Saul's trying to kill David. And David is busy giving this guy a hard time because he doesn't protect the guy that's trying to kill him. How do you, concern, how do you, cons, how do you consider the Lord's body? How do you discern the brother and the sister that are sitting next to you? They're not enemies. Nobody here chucked a spear at me lately. How do you discern the Lord's body matters? How you treat God's anointed? You are anointed. You are anointed. And the people sitting next to you is anointed. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son, David? David said, it is my voice, Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? In other words, David is still at the mercy of Saul and calls him master and says, I am your servant and everything that you want from me, I will give to you. The amount of grace, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, the book of Romans tells us. How good are you? Because if God's goodness is seen in you, the people around you would repent. What does repentance mean? It has two double meaning. Repentance means change the way that you think. So it changes the way that you think and therefore it will change what you do because behavior follows thoughts. So the way you think is the way you are. And what you think you will do. If I constantly think about beating my wife, what's going to happen? I'm going to beat my wife. No one falls in a day. I don't just go next door and go, whoops, there we go, and I've slept with the neighbor's wife. 
Like that was accident. I had baby oil on me and it just got... I think about it over and over and over. And eventually when the opportunity presents itself, I'm like, hey, it's all. Right? How you think is how you are. How you think is how you are. And if you think of yourself consecrated and anointed, then you will become consecrated and anointed. But if you're constantly wrestling God in your mind saying, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to give you this. I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to avoid you. You're not consecrated. How you think about the people in your life is how they are. It's how you are towards them. And the goodness of the Lord leads men to repentance. In other words, the more good I am to my wife, the more she changes the way she thinks about me. Re is the prefix. Pent means high. We say penthouse. You live in the penthouse. Repent means turn around and come up higher. Repent means come up higher in your thoughts. So Saul knew David's voice, said, your voice, my son, David. David said, it's my voice, O Lord. And he said, why does my Lord pursue his servant? For what have I done? What is evil in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. In other words, when you are anointed, you are in a position to receive the inheritance of God. You are there to steward what is God's, not what is yours. That is the point of consecration, because when I am consecrated, that which I own, I don't really own because I gave it to him, and then he he gives me more stuff and I'm responsible for stewarding what he's given me. The life I now live is no longer I who live it, but it is Christ in me who lives, meaning that what I do, only Christ allows me to do. I don't do what pleases me, I do what pleases him. And the stuff that I have, he gave me so that I may steward it according to his will. And where we've messed it up in the churches a little bit is where we say, when you bring everything into the house of God, everything belongs to the Lord. And then the minister drives a Range Rover. Amen. Preach it, prophesy, come on, help me out here. So then we drive Range Rovers, we live in big houses, and then we say, oh, you see what happens when you're blessed of the Lord. No, that's what happens when you manipulate people. Everything belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the church. Everything belongs to the kingdom of God, not the church. There is a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. A church is ecclesia, the called out ones. Church speaks of the movement of God. Kingdom is, is, talks about the establishment of God. God is here to reestablish himself in the earth and he does it through you. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of God is where? It's in you. So when you become more, the kingdom of God becomes more. When there is an internal change, there will be an external change. We can't be 60% South Africans as Christians and South Africa be in the state that it is in. In other words, the kingdom has not yet materialized in 60% of us because the outside would have looked like what's happening on the inside. And the reason why the lights are off on the outside is because the lights are off on the. So I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter number one. So I'm going to give you some context and I'm going to close off with this. Uh, we can pick it up from verse 13. Let me just give you some context. So eventually what happens is what eventually what happens is Saul dies in a battle. He then he gets kill, killed. And the news is reported to David. And there's a young man who comes to David and he thinks, I'm going to tell David that I'm the one who killed Saul and David will reward me. Because Saul was David's enemy. This is so funny because when David was coming up, he took out the Philistines, their champion, and yet it was the Philistines who connected with David and helped him to do many conquests. So what's strange to me about this story is that this young man who doesn't even know David comes up to David thinking that he's going to get some reward. And then he tells David, this is, this is the story, verse 13, 2 Samuel 1, verse 13. Then David said to the young man who told him, told him that Saul was dead and that he killed him, where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amicalite. So David said to him, how was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Church, how are you not afraid to speak against God's anointed? 
Church, how are you not afraid to not discern the Lord's body correctly? Lord, forgive me for speaking ill of any other person who is ever called by the name of the Lord who is anointed. How are you not afraid to speak, to touch the Lord's anointed? How was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called out one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And, and he struck him so that he died. In other words, those who come against you come against God. You, who do you go against? Who is your enemy? That's why Paul says to us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, against wicked hosts in the heavenlies. We don't wrestle against you because you are the Lord's anointed. We wrestle against that which influences you to do stupid things. We come against not Cyril Ramaphosa, but the voice of influence that speaks to him that is demonic, that might lead him into the wrong way. That's why prayer is so important, and that's why discernment is so important. But I want you to get the spiritual nugget of this spiritual principle this morning. You should discern the Lord's body, and you should be afraid when you touch the Lord's anointed. Who is anointed of the Lord? David writes this a little bit later on in one of the Psalms. God, I hate your enemies with the perfect hatred because he recognized Saul's anointing Saul could never be God's enemy only those who were against God David was against who are you were against who are you fighting who is your enemy and who is your brother and your sister and when they do you wrong how do you treat them how do you discern the Lord's body how do you speak against them? Now, when you have a mouth like mine, I have a big mouth. It's the same size as my nose. When you have a mouth like mine, we have issues sometimes. It's more than issues. It's issues. And sometimes my issues leads me to say stupid things against the Lord's anointed. Those things, those things that you say stops God from executing judgment. Because you are a representative of God. What you judge, you're saying he judged. What you judge, you're saying he judged because you are the hand of the Lord. Do you realize the power, the anointing? Do you realize the authority that you carry this morning? And let me ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you? Everything that you do stems from your identity. That's why Paul wrote and said, God cannot deny who he is. Because he is God, he is judge. Because he is judge, he is king. He is the Lord.